And now, a Breakthrough Basketball original podcast, The Jim Huber Show. After basketball, his dream is to become a rodeo clown. Jim Huber. Hey, everybody. Oh, it's hard work being this good. I was like, ow. <laughs> <laughs> he sounds like a, a big choo-choo train. We join the Jim Huber Show, already in progress. I did that with not having any type of medication. Who do you got lined up today, Jimmy? We got Phil Beckner. He's a systems basketball coach at University of Nebraska. And he's with the Oklahoma City Thunder in some capacity. He was, was right? with Oklahoma City Thunder. He uh, was an assistant coach on the D-League team that they had there. So involved there with KD and Westbrook, and then at Weber State, an assistant there coaching a young Damian Lillard. Who everybody kind of knows, and it wasn't highly recruited. How does he go in four years to be in a lottery selection, being an all-star in the league, rookie of the year? What type of plan did you put in place that he followed to help him have that success? You know, one of the stories I tell about him all the time, remember it like it was yesterday, I'm laying in bed, it's about 11.30 at night, and my phone and uh, obviously Damian Willard's name pops up on my phone and I'm like, first thing I think is like, oh man, something happened, something's wrong. So I answer the phone, I'm like, hey Dame, what's going on? He goes, Phil. I go, yeah. He goes, what do I have to do to make the NBA? It's 11.30 at night, Dame, what are you talking about? He goes, no, seriously, what do I have to do to make the NBA? And I'm like, you're really asking me? You're like, you're worried about this at 11.30 at night? And he goes, yeah. He goes, Phil, what do I have to do to make the NBA? I said, you have to outwork everybody in the country. Mm-hmm. The guys at Duke, the guys at Kansas, you have to outwork all of them. You have to wake up every single day and not just be the hardest worker at Weber State. You have to be the hardest worker in the country. And he said, okay, I'll do it. And because of that, it just truly gave him a chance to be special. So people want to know, like, what did you do? I mean, like, say is he, he coming in for like an hour workout. And he, how did you break it down? What did you work on? What type of skills? One strength Damien had, and he still has this today. You know, I worked with him all offseason. Uh, he just sent me a, a link to kind of his highlights of the game the other day. And they're talking about the release point of his shot, being quicker and being higher. Damien always had a willingness to work on things he wasn't good at or a willingness to work on things that were a little bit uncomfortable. He's willing to do things that other guys aren't willing to do. So, you know, with us, uh, it starts with just, ba- you know, basic things, footwork, ball handling, finishing around the rim. Um, we, we'd really work on his right hand a lot. The, the biggest thing, I think, that separated him at the college level that he worked on, and now granted, a lot of kids want to skip to this step and hear that Damian does it or hear that KD does it or whatever it may be. And, and I always tell kids, don't just steal the drills these guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Steal what makes them special. Steal like their work ethic. Steal their yeah. discipline. Steal their habits. And then you could get to those drills. But the one thing that probably really separated Dame in college that we worked at on with pick and roll development and uh, sports illustrated even you know interviewed him and myself about it about some of the drills we did where it's simply me and him out there with the trash can and he would work on pick and roll passing everyone wants to work on pick and roll and shoot pull-ups or get to the rim and score he'd work on pick and roll passing he'd work on pick and roll versus the three or four different coverages you might see out there he would work on pick and roll the entire progression get to the rim shoot a pull-up, shoot behind the screen, then work on pitch-outs and all that. So the pick-and-roll stuff probably really, really separated him, and that, that may have been be the one thing that gave him a chance to be special early at the next level playing in the NBA. Did he watch a lot of film to study how, like, Steve Nash would attack a pick-and-roll, how Chris Paul attacks pick-and-rolls? Did he go to YouTube and look at things? 
Absolutely. That, that's funny you asked that because uh, we actually got him a DVD made um, from a different NBA team, and they put Steve Nash, John Stockton, Tony Parker, and Darren Williams at the time, four of the people I thought were the best pick-and-roll players in the league. So he would take that DVD home, and it was just, you know, 10 clips of Nash, 10 clips uh, of Tony Parker, all these different ones, and he would watch that DVD over and over and over again. He watched every single game from his sophomore year on DVD while he was hurt. He went through and watched every single game as a junior in college when his foot was broke. He went through and watched every single game. So it was stuff like that that really, you know, I think made him special. And he was just willing to do things that other players weren't willing to do. I think a testament to you, the success you've had, is like Damian still brings you in to work him out, and he's in the NBA. How has his workouts maybe changed now from college and now he's, you know, an NBA all-star? You know, I think uh, the philosophy hasn't changed player development-wise for him or, or what I do with any players. I always tell them, you got to be great at what you're good at. Like, every player is going to be good at a couple things, so you really have to sharpen those strengths sometimes and be great at what you're good at. If you're trying to be great at everything, you end up just being average or marginal at everything. So even though we try to improve weaknesses still, we're just as much about sharpening strength. And a guy like him playing pick and roll, shooting the basketball, like our elite skills for him, those are something we're going to constantly work on. So um, I would say once guys get to, you know, whether it's going from high school to college, a guy going, you know, from high school to the high major level of Nebraska, even the NBA, I think what a lot of guys have to do is um, really know, like have a plan and a progression in place for what they're trying to get accomplished. And Damian Lillard, like where he's at now in his career, he is really, really working on some elite stuff that a lot of players can't do. We have a shooting series we developed for him this offseason. Some of it's been stolen from uh, KD. Some of it's stolen from Steve Nash. It's a series of ten types of shots and, you know, making those different shots. So there's five that, um, that consist of just kind of catching and shooting, and there's five that can, uh, consist of shooting off the dribble, almost all focusing on balance, rhythm, release, using your legs, getting your elbows to come all the way up through your shoulder and getting a high release point. Uh, the ones off the dribble obviously are coordinating that dribble with your jump and coordinating that dribble into your release. Um, so some of them are off one leg. Some of them are jumping um, like in a 180 and turning to shoot. Some of them are bouncing the ball, you know, multiple times, four or five stationary dribbles into a raised, you know, pull-up jump shot. So to me, it sounds like balance is such a big thing with stuff that you work on with individuals in shooting. Absolutely. Ba- balance and release. I think, you know, with shooting, a lot of people uh, could complicate it. I believe in giving guys one or two main things for shooting the basketball, trying to shore those up, trying to be really sharp at those, and, uh, you know, then building off of that. What about the mentality of your three-point shooters? What do you, what do you tell them when they miss a shot? You know, how do they handle Because it's a lot of pressure. Uh, shooting at but, three. But that's a great question. That's something we've really worked with our guys on a ton here. The only thing you could do is make your next shot. There's nothing you could do about the pass. That's, you know, a lot of guys now talk about staying in the moment, not worrying about outcomes. The only thing you could do is make your next shot. So one thing uh, we do not allow is like guys to pout and sulk after they miss a shot or guys to get frustrated after they miss a couple in a row. The only thing you could do is grab the ball, shoot it, and make your next shot. And you have to believe that that next one's going in. I always tell guys, if you might miss two, three, four in a row, but once you make that next one, as soon as you make it, you give yourself a chance to make three or four in a row after that. And if guys have that mindset, usually they're going to end up making it more than they miss, you know, sticking with the process and just building themselves up to become a better shooter. Phil, tell us a little bit about your role with the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
Um, well, well, I worked. Uh, I was hired by the Oklahoma City Thunder, and uh, my my role was an assistant coach with their developmental team. But uh, the first few months there, before our season started, we were in training camp. Um, you know, with the Thunder, we worked with those guys and their staff. You know, side by side every day when I started there. Being with Oklahoma City and then viewing, you know, Kevin and Russell. Tell me this, it seems like their competitive spirit and how they play and they compete is such an intense level. Can you kind of describe what that's about and their attention to detail when they practice and they play? Absolutely. Uh, Kevin and Russ are, you know, they're, they're two of the best players in the league for a reason. And, and I tell a lot of younger players now and even, you know, players on our roster at Nebraska, uh, what, what makes those guys, you know, successful, uh, there, there's no magic recipe for it. They, they literally show up every day two hours before practice and do a pre-practice routine. And uh, I remember my first uh, memory at training camp there. I, I walked on the court. We were practicing at 10.30 that day. You know, I, I was at the office about 7.30. You walk out there at 8.30, two hours before practice, and uh, Kevin Durant was on one court and Russell Westbrook was on the other court. There was no one else in the gym. There was not rookies or not other players or anything. And those guys were the first one on the court doing their pre-practice routine. And then they would go eat breakfast and they would go rehab their body. Then they would go take care of all that stuff. But their, uh, you know, their appetite for success their appetite to be great was, uh, you know, just unparalleled. The, the way they worked, the way they showed up every day, you know, Russell Westbrook was probably one of the most competitive players I had ever been around, whether it was a three-on-three breakdown drill or five-on-five, you know, playing in the full court. He truly, just truly wanted to out-compete everybody. And, uh, you know, that's what separates those guys, even at the highest level. As coaches, we want to have as many leaders on the floor, on a team, as we can get. What would suggestions can you give kids of what you learned from, like, a Russell Westbrook and a Kevin Durant becoming a great leader, things that they did? Yeah, I think the number one step in leadership for any kid or any player is that you have to take care of your own business first. You have to take care of your work ethic. You have to take care of your attitude, your communication first. And when you do that, then you're in a position to be a great leader. And then number two, once you do, uh, you know, I think the, the best leaders, they don't just always drag teammates along with them. They walk alongside their teammates. You know, there are time and time again, KD, Russ, those guys, where they constantly have their arm around a younger player. They constantly are talking to those guys and drills, but then they're also, they were never afraid to confront players either when a guy isn't bringing it, when a guy, you know, wasn't working hard enough. Those guys, um, they just really handle it the right way and really just wouldn't let anything get in the way of, you know, their team or their culture, the success they wanted. Hey, Coach, what do you believe on is, you know, there's discussion about the one-two stop and the hop. The best players, whether it's Damian Lillard, I uh, got to watch Kevin Durant do this last year. We were debating the same thing. KD is on a court after practice shooting, and within his reps, maybe he was making 10 shots, maybe, you know, five, six of them were off the one-two step, yep. and five or six of them were off the, off the hop. I think the best players, the most dynamic do players, could do both. Do both. Yeah. Yeah. What about, uh, you know, my son is more, he's not a dip shooter where he's dipping the thing down like Ray Allen down to his, you know, below his waist. Uh, he's more of like a, a shallow dip, kind of a shallow diver just to get a little bit of rhythm versus that big dip that a lot of NBA players use. What do you, what do you talk about with the dip with the guys? Yeah, I, I think as long as it doesn't hinder their shot or keep it too slow from getting the shot off, it's okay. 
I always tell guys, like, we're not going to change your shot. We might tweak it a little bit. Because as soon as you go in there and tell a player you're going to change his shot, he's got way too much crap going on in his head. So we always say we're going to tweak it. So if the dip's too far, they might have to not dip it a few inches. But um, before that, I think the initial problem, maybe some people say, like, oh, he has too much of a dip or it's too slow getting off. Half the time, I think it's the shot preparation before the catch. They're not down and ready. Hands weren't ready to shoot it. Those little things, I think, add up just as much as the dip. When you work out with a guy, a guy that's going to shoot the three like Damon Lillard, where are you having them shoot the threes in the workout? Do you ever get worried about, hey, if he doesn't have his legs, his mechanics start to fail, confidence fails? How do, how do you balance the outside game and the other things? I think there's three different types of workouts for kids. Those three could be divided up throughout the week. Um, you could do multi, you know, different ones multiple times. I think there's like what you would call a skill development workout where you're getting ball handling, footwork, change pace, change direction, finishing around the rim, and then some type of other skill work into that, whether it's, you know, playing pick and roll, maybe it's shooting off the screens, whatever. This is what, you know, Lillard and I still do in the summer. This is what we're doing with guys at Nebraska. Then there's another type of workout called just like a shooting workout where it might be a little ball handling to get warmed up but when, and then a few spot-ups. But when you get into it, you are really working on shooting, whether it's threes and extending your range. One thing we've recently done at Nebraska, which has been really, really good for our guys, and done this with uh, – Lillard and even with guys at Weaver is we will tape, you know, different marks for the NBA three-point line just to extend their range. So as they shoot from NBA range, it really kind of exposes some of the fundamentals they struggle with. But then also as they step up to the college line, it gets easier after that. So a shooting type workout where they're shooting off cuts, shooting off screens, shooting, you know, off the move, running into them, um, you know, that would be the second type. And then the third type is just uh, what we call just like a reps workout where it's just all spot you're making 200, 300, 400 spot-ups, uh, you know, threes, mid-range, whatever it may be. So out of those three, we would divide those up throughout the week. We'd still do the same thing with Lillard in the summer. He would actually do two of those in a day sometimes. We would do skill development in the morning for 45 minutes to maybe an hour, and then in the afternoon we would come up and come back and do like a reps workout where he's making 400 to 500 spot-ups, you know, later on that evening. What suggestions can you give to a parent or a player out there trying to find a good workout coach, what questions will they ask them and how can they identify that person? Yeah, I, I think what you, what, what the, the major difference now is um, I think there's player development coaches and their skill development coaches. The player development coaches, I think, are the best of the best. They could teach. They have teaching points. They understand what they're doing. They're not just putting guys through drills, but also to develop a player, you're developing his character. You're developing his mindset. You're developing his work ethic. And I would always, if I was a parent and I had a child and I was going to pay someone to work them out, I want them preaching the right messages that are not only going to translate to basketball, but translate to life. Being on time, working hard, being a high-character person. I told um, I told a high school coach last week, I said, you know what you find out nowadays? And in most cases, you know, 80% of the time, most great players are great people. Kevin Durant's a great person. Damian Lillard is a great person. Dirk Nowitzki, great person. Those guys are some of the best players in the NBA, and they treat the towel boy as well as they treat the head coach. They are really, really great people, and I think that's important. 
important in player development because it's just going to, the better person you are, the better player you're usually going to be. But then, you know, the, the, the part that it comes into, the guys that are a dime a dozen, I think, are just complete skill trainers. They could watch a video on YouTube. There's mm-hmm. 9 million of them now. Yep. They steal a ball handling drill. They got 80 tennis balls, 47 cones, a jump rope, <laughs> uh, right. freaking, you know, spatula out there. And they're trying to, all that stuff's artificial to me. Uh, you know, I, I just really think you want player development coaches for trainers nowadays. On the show today, we have Phil Beckner, an assistant basketball coach at University of Nebraska on. How do you recommend kids to balance out skill development and playing? Yeah, I think the best thing is to be prepared. they got to look at their schedule that week in advance, know what's going on, um, when they're going to be practicing, when they're going to have games, and, uh, and be able to do stuff before or after practice or before or after games. Uh, I I think the the common theme now is is kids play so many games in the summer and they don't make enough shots. They play so many games in the summer and they don't work on their stuff skill-wise and it's never catching up you know, to the speed of the game or to the number of games that they're playing in the summertime. So I, I think that's kind of a fine line, a fine balance. But right now, for I would guess 9 out of 10 kids, they're not working on their game enough. They're not working footwork, ba- uh, balance, ball handling, finishing around the rim, shooting off the dribble, shooting off the cut. They should be working on that, um, you know, equal to or as much as the time that they're spending in games uh, during, you know, during the summer and during the fall. You're at Weber State, and you guys had a heck of a run. I mean, you're talking about like six postseason, you know, uh, tournaments in a row, and that's huge. And yep. I'm I'm a huge believer on defense and rebounding wins championships. What type of philosophies did you implement at Weber State to have that type of success? Uh, well, number one, it started with you know the guys we brought in before you even get to any X's and O's and whatnot. Uh, Coach Ray, I, I work for, I think he's one of the best coaches in college basketball. I don't care what level it is. He could truly uh, develop a culture and develop an atmosphere where, um, you know, win- winning is the most important thing, but doing it the right way, uh, you know, to go about that. And I think, um, I think having those type of kids who are high character, who are tough, who are willing to be coached, and who just really, really wanted to try to accomplish something special was the foundation of what we built. And because of that, then we were able to put in a defensive philosophy or you know skill development things that we thought would separate our program. Defensively, we were a um, we were a no three defensive team uh, the last couple years. There, we we believe that you know threes are one of the you know the most efficient shots out there in basketball points per possession wise, and we wanted to uh, you know to eliminate that. So we actually met with Tim Pomeroy, a guy who started a lot of the analytic stuff, and this you know five, six years ago before it got really, really popular. And he went through some of our numbers. He showed us some of that. And so we ended up developing our defensive system based on taking away the three-point shot. So what would you do? Would you run them off the line and meet them like in defensive transition? You would not sprint so much back to the middle. You sprint to the three-point line or you would overclose out. What would you do? Yeah, well, we developed three rules defensively. We wanted to keep it simple for our guys. And the three rules were, one, no threes number two, no middle, and then number three, no layups. And those would kind of go in, you know, a hierarchy with each other. So once you would run them off the line to take away three, unless it was just a guy that couldn't shoot the ball, we were running guys off the three-point line. So no threes, you're running the guy off the three-point line, taking the three away, and then once he drove it, we could not let him go middle because we said we know if we know we're running the guy off the three-point line, then we know they're going to have to drive the ball. And if they're going to drive it, we want them to drive the ball where we want them to go. And so that was obviously to the baseline side. We didn't want them to go to the middle. And then the last thing was no late, because obviously that's one of the highest, 
you know, efficiency shots and basketball as a layup, you know, points per possession. So as they would drive it, we wanted to protect the rim, whether it was blocking a shot, taking the charge, helping a teammate, whatever it may be. So it was no threes, no middle, no layups. And we just obviously did not want to give up a wide open, you know, uncontested layup. Um, so within those, I think we really built, you know, a great foundation. The rules were simple enough for our guys to understand. And we just would always tell them, you know, at the end of the day, threes count more than two. Threes count more than twos. And the only way that, you know, I truly believe in what we believe that Weber State, the only way you could really guard the three was by taking it away. Like, you could hopefully affect percentages. And, uh, you know, there's some numbers out there with studies that say, I think it was like every mid-major team that's upset a high major in the NCAA tournament, they made eight threes or more. The only way you could control a team not making eight threes is to not let them shoot eight threes. If they don't shoot eight, they can't make eight. And I think that's one of the maybe misunderstood, um, you know, points of, of guarding the three and defending the three is just completely eliminated, not letting them have a large number of attempts. When I was at UMKC and I worked for a guy named Coach Dean Demopoulos, he used to talk about the people, players are not good passers. So if you sped them up and you make them put it on the floor, they even become worse passers. So it's Absolutely. almost like that idea, like getting them off the three-point line, they speed them up, they make bad decisions as well. Um, so I, I do like that. Now, a question for you is how much time did you spend on defense and practices on a daily basis? No, we, we, we spent a ton. We had, uh, we, had four, um, we had four probably main areas that we were going to work on defensively every day, um, and those were our core, kind of core areas. We'd have drills developed. Uh, sometimes the drills would vary. But um, there, I, I'm saying, you know, at least half our time, you know, on defense. And Coach Ray was a great offensive mind, ran a great offensive system where we, you know, I think we even led the country in field goal percentage or was close to a field goal percentage offense for a few years. So there's always that balance. But um, more importantly, I think, than the time we devoted, whether it's 50-50 or 60-40, I think our number one uh, emphasis all the time was defense and rebounding. We always started, you know, the first part of practice, defense and rebounding. We always started our first part of our film sessions, defensive and re- defense and rebounding, because they knew that was the most important thing that was going to help us be successful, especially at the end of the year. Now, I hear a lot of things about yourself being in programs, and you're big on having yourself evaluated almost like on a daily basis, whether it's coaches coming in and seeing practices and giving you kind of their feedback, getting feedback from maybe a custodian, anybody. Anyone who wants to improve and wants to grow has to be willing to accept criticism, has to be willing you know, to hear other people's opinions. And, and with that being said, you know, um, I, I've been a guy who, you know, we might have two or three high school coaches at our practice. I would ask them to, can I read your notes? Can I see what you heard during practice? Well, what did you think, uh, what do you think we were just terrible at today? What did you think we were great at today? Because sometimes it gives you confirmation that you're doing some things right or confirmation that what you're emphasizing, you're, you're, you're having a chance to get it out of your guys or get it out of your program. But then too, sometimes it's just concerning. You know, you're like, wow, you know what? We really don't take charges or, you know, man, our, uh, you know, our guys don't run the floor because I, I I think sometimes uh, a great, great quote I've heard is like, you can't trick the truth. And sometimes we can get blinded, you know, by our routine daily and what we're doing and get caught up in that and not being able to see the things that aren't going right in our program. Absolutely. So, yeah. Hey, Coach, I know I've read an article that you sent out, and it's the like your experience throughout college coaching, what you've learned, you know, through all these years. Give me right now the best of. 
uh, I actually made that list after my first two years at Weber State. When we would be on, on the road, when we would be in practice, I'd hear something good, and I would just constantly type these little things in my phone that, um, that I had learned. Uh, you know, number one, I always remember this, and, and I think it's one of the first ones I put on that list was Larry Shiat said it. He said, you don't coach for the name on your business card. You coach for your head coach. You coach for your players because the name on your business card is just yours, and it's just about you. If you're just coaching for yourself, you're not in this business for the right reasons. You've got to be coaching to impact your players. You've got to be coaching to impact your head coach, impact the program, and be part of something you know bigger than yourself. I just thought those things were really, really valuable. You know, another one was uh, never let a chemistry guy go. When, when guys are about your program or about winning or about, uh, t- you know, being tough and doing the right things, like you can't ever let those guys go from your program. And sometimes maybe a kid didn't get to play as much and he wants to transfer, or maybe he doesn't, you know, he's not the most skilled guy and you wonder if, you know, he's going to stick around. Like you can't let chemistry guys go, those foxhole guys go. You always got to have them, you know, on your team. And then the third one, and this is probably, uh, you know, this is an old thing. It's cliche, but players don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Like, relationships are vital. The players have to know that you care. When they know that you care and you've built up enough equity and you've invested in them enough, then you can coach them as hard as you want to. They'll run through a wall for you. They'll do anything you give them to succeed. And then I think that's when you become, you know, a truly good assistant, a truly good coach. We're ready for the big three, the trifecta. Jimmy's, uh, he works all day on these questions. Coach, here we go. All right, Coach Beckner, if you were on an island and if you had one movie to watch for the remainder of your life, what would it be? Pursuit of happiness, without a doubt. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Not even me. All right? All right. You got a dream? You gotta protect it. There's a scene in there where he's in the bathroom with his son and they're having a sleep in a subway. Mm -hmm. And I don't care um, whether you're in the coaching profession, whether you're a teacher, whatever it may be. Sometimes we all think we go through hard times and it's tough to make it. And I've just kind of always told myself, you know what, until you're sleeping on the floor of a bathroom subway with your son trying to make it, it's probably not that hard. You probably still have a fighting chance. Yeah, I love that. One book to change someone's life, what would it be? I would have to say Training Camp by John Gordon. I give it to uh, a player or two every year, some players that I think will, you know, buy into it, read it. It's uh, it's a must-read for every player, you know, every coach, but especially the ones that truly want to, you know, be great. And I'm not just talking about being great. I'm talking about being great in life, really having a bigger purpose and, you know, being successful. John Gordon, by the way, we've got him scheduled, I think, November, November yep. coming up on the big podcast. He's got podcast. his new book, new book out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, he's really, really good. He's big time. Yeah. Uh, number three, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you in your life? Um, you know what? Yeah, I'd probably have to go back to something uh, my, my mom used to tell me. She would, uh, you know, she would just always say, kind of believe in yourself and just fake it till you make it. <laughs> if you don't, if you're not the most, you know, confident, you're worried about something, just go out there and own it. Like if you just own something, you walk in, you own your house. Like you're gonna be pretty confident in your own house. If you're work, if you have to work out, Damian Lillard, and you might be a little different uh, or a little nervous, <laughs> and there's no difference in him and another player, whatever it may be, just go out there and own it. Oh, so yeah. I, I think hearing that from my mom just uh, it's probably always stuck with me and you know helped me be confident sometimes that you might be a little shaky and sometimes it's kind of like that confidence comes from within and by the way katie would be proud of you because mama is a true mvp so he'd be proud of that <laughs> one 
Going back to Mama. No so, hey, yeah. Co- hey, Coach Beckner, we appreciate the time of giving us today and giving us a wealth of information. We wish you much success on your career and also this year with the University of Nebraska with the men's basketball team. Thanks for having me, guys. You guys do a great job. And, you know, I hope a lot of coaches dive into this. And, you know, we're all about sharing ideas. We're all growing. So you guys do a great job. Just keep it up. And anything we could ever do for you, we're more than happy to help. And likewise on this end too, Coach. But uh, take care and God bless. We appreciate you, man. All right. So that wraps it up. Another successful podcast, Jimmy. Uh, you can email Jimmy at the Jim Huber Show at gmail.com. The Jim Huber Show at gmail.com. So it's J I M Jim. Thank right. you. Right. Right. Huber, H U B E R. Yeah. The Jim Huber Show at gmail.com. And then Twitter at Jim Huber Show. So Phil Beckner was great. And we're working on, we're going to get some of his drills and things like that. Yeah. And, and we'll put that into a blog form. Uh, and get that to you as well. Don't forget, we need you to go on iTunes and leave a review. That helps the show. It helps the show grow. Uh, Subscribe, spread the word, rate, and review. And, of course, thanks to our great sponsors at BreakthroughBasketball.com. Go check out BreakthroughBasketball.com today. Tons of free, great, solid content from some of the best coaches in the world and a ton of great products too, DVDs, uh, stat apps, all sorts of goodies at BreakthroughBasketball.com.